0: Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come together this day to hear your word, we ask that your spirit would be upon us, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would hear, and that your word may dwell within us for all time. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as I introduced myself last week, Uh, for those of you that were here last week. I'm Father Wayne Wimbish. I'm the rector of New Hope Mission Church in St. Peter's. We have a ministry where we take the church to people who can't get out to go to church otherwise. So currently, our congregation exists in four senior centers scattered around, two in St. Charles County and two in South St. Louis. And I'm covering for Father Ben while he's on vacation. Uh, He should be back with his family tomorrow and then... Uh, back in service again this week. So uh, I hope and pray that he's had a very restful week and that you will find him refreshed when he returns. Well, I've been preaching a six-week sermon series in New Hope Mission, uh, starting back a month ago with the parable of the uh, four kinds of soil, the parable of the sower, as it's called. If you remember... Uh, back to that parable. Jesus said there was a farmer that went out to sow his field, and he cast his grain, and some of it fell upon the path and was eaten up by birds. Uh, some of it fell on rocky soil, and it sprang up real quickly, but because it didn't have any root, because the soil the soil was shallow, uh, as soon as the sun came out, it perished. It withered. Uh, some of the Seed fell along the edges of the field where the weeds were and the weeds and thorns grew up and choked it out. And then some of the seed fell on the good soil and it grew and matured and produced a crop even a hundredfold. So Jesus explained to his disciples that the seed that was sown is the word of God. The soil represented by the path represents people whose hearts are so hard that before the word has a chance to even make an impact on them, Satan has already carried it away. The soil that was shallow and rocky represents people who are shallow in life and are just jumping from one thing to another. Uh, They take to the word quickly, but as soon as there's persecution, they fall away. The seed that fell and among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, represent people who've got so much going on in their lives, they're so busy, that the word doesn't have any chance to mature. It cannot compete with all the other things that they have going on. And then the soil that was good, that the seed fell upon, it produced a crop. The seed was able to grow, it was able to mature, it was able to produce a crop, even a hundredfold. Well, that word that was spread as imp- exemplified in in the seed in this parable, I looked ahead at the lectionary for the next six weeks and I said, "You, this is a good outline for what's coming up, the places that Jesus is going to go and the things that he's going to teach on. And so I've been using that as a shell, as an outline for all the things that I've been teaching so far. And so the weeks after this parable, we saw the reading of the sending of the 12 and the sending of the 72. Those disciples were sent out like seed being cast out into the field to carry the word of God into all the places that Jesus was about to go. They were to go into these towns and villages and tell them the good news that the kingdom of God was near. And, Jesus warned them that it's not going to all be good soil. There's going to be rocky soil and thorny soil and dirt paths out there and you're just going to have to shake the dust off your feet in those places. But you still tell them the good news. You still tell them the kingdom of God is near. You do your task. And so we see in those two readings Jesus physically doing what he had talked about in the parable of the soils, of the sower. He's sending the word forth just like God spreading the good news. He is God. He is spreading the good news. Okay, so that was the first half of my six-week series. Last week began the second half with the parable of the... You ever get one of those moments where you just can't spit it out? (laughs) The parable of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer stood up and asked, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you're the the expert here. How do you read it? How do you interpret the law? And so the man gave him the summary of the law that we read every week. And Jesus said, that's a good answer. If you do that, you will live. And then as we heard last week, the man attempted to justify himself He said, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus takes this opportunity now to start teaching about discipleship. He starts talking about the things that will enable a person to grow if they're in good soil. So he tells this story about this man who's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and is mugged by robbers and left for dead. And you can just see the people and imagine them that are listening to Jesus telling this story. And when Jesus says a priest is coming by, they say, "Oh, here comes a good guy." And when that disappointment goes by, he says a levite's coming by, and they're expecting another good turn here, and the levite goes on by. And they're wondering what's going on here. And I've told my folks that I think that one can explain it one way by suggesting that the priest and the levite were so caught up in the busyness of serving the temple, they forgot who it was that they were serving. And so rather than take a chance on the fact that this guy might really be dead and render them unclean, they just took a wide berth and went on by. Well, it's not what the people wanted to hear. That's not who their, their priests and their Levites are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. But then when Jesus says, and then a Samaritan came along, they're going, oh no, if he wasn't dead already, he's going to be. He's going to take everything he's got left and put him out of his misery. They're expecting this hated enemy, this Samaritan, to do something bad. And then Jesus shows that's not the case at all. The Samaritan actually had compassion on the man. He tended to his wounds. He bound them up. He put him on his own animal and walked the rest of the way to Jericho himself while the man who had been mugged rode on the animal. And when he got there, he took him to the end and put him up at the inn and tended to him and then left money with the innkeeper equivalent to several hundred dollars in today's money and said you take care of this guy I'm going to come back and make sure that he's okay and if his tab has exceeded what I've left with you I'll pay the difference I'll make good on this this is not what Samaritans are reputed to be like Jesus is using this to really push against this man His last line, after he's asked the man, who do you think was a neighbor? And the man identifies the Samaritan of all people. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. I want you to act towards people who you can't even imagine associating with. I want you to treat them like neighbors. I want you to go out of your way to bind up their wounds, whatever hurts they have. I want you to put out your own resources to help them. I want you to see to it that they come through okay. That's what it means to be a neighbor. And so Jesus' teaching here is meant towards increasing our discipleship one to another. He's he's tilling that soil and weeding out the rocks, weeding and, and, and tilling the hard spots, so that the seed has a chance to grow. And he's showing us what that growth looks like. In our story today, we have Martha and Mary. It says that uh, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary. Well, this is the Martha and Mary that we know as being the sisters of Lazarus who died and then Jesus raised from the dead. Now this story here in Luke is the only place this passage occurs in the Gospels. Luke's the only one that records it. So we look at this as the early days when Jesus is just getting to know Martha and Mary. And he goes into their house. And Mary immediately begins to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Martha is caught up in the busyness of hospitality. Now this is a culture where hospitality counts above everything else. And it's not that the person who's the guest expects hospitality, but the people who are treating the guest expect to do it with hospitality. Uh, People actually uh, compete with each other or vie with each other when somebody comes to town to see who's going to get to take care of them. Because hospitality is so important. It's a plus for them if they get to do it. And Martha is doing what she's accustomed to doing. She's taking care of her guests. She's getting things ready for the meal. And she looks over at Mary and she says says to herself, Mary is not doing what Mary's supposed to be doing. And she goes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister is not doing what she's supposed to be doing? Tell her to get over here and help me. And the way she phrases the question to Jesus, she's expecting Jesus to turn to Mary and say, Mary, why don't you go help your sister? That's what you're supposed to do. Except that's not what Jesus says. He goes, Martha, Martha, you are so busy, you can't even see what's going on here. Only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken from her. Martha did not get what she expected, just like the lawyer didn't get what he expected. Martha gets a teaching on fellowship with the Lord that Mary, who has sensed who Jesus is at some level, has decided it's better to sit at his feet than it is to do what I've been eager to do all this time, and that is to show hospitality. So during last week, this week, and next week, we see three levels of teaching from Jesus in terms of discipleship. Last week is what it meant to be neighbors among ourselves. This week is what does it mean to have fellowship with the Lord. And next week, when Jesus teaches on the Lord's Prayer, it's what does it mean to in order to have dialogue with God. And so all three of these weeks are spent on tilling the soil, turning us over into seed that falls on good ground so that we have good hearts, so that we grow and mature and produce a crop. So as you're listening to whatever is preached on next week, if it's on the Lord's uh, prayer, then think about this kind of an outline and how this is, uh, meant to develop us in respect to God. Uh, and if it's, that's not this topic that Ben chooses next week, then just remember this anyway and uh, uh, meditate on it in your heart at home. All right. So there's another example of contrast between the good soils and the bad soils that I want to bring up today too. And that is the contrast between Psalm 15 and our reading from Amos. Now, These come at two different times in Israel's history. Uh, The psalm is written by David about 1000 BC. And at this time, David is asking the question, just like the lawyer asked of Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? David says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who may live on your holy hill? David is wanting to know what does it take in order to have fellowship with the Lord. He's asking that type of question. And God answers him and says, well, it's the ones who walk blamelessly. It's the one who, do, who does righteousness. It's the ones who speak truth. It's the ones who don't slander. It's the ones who take care of their neighbors. They don't cast a slur on their fellow people. Uh, they are the ones that honor the Lord They keep his oath even when it hurts. They lend money without expecting interest. And they don't mistreat the needy. Now this topic of mistreating the needy really becomes the center core of God's objections to Israel in Amos. If you go through the book of Amos, you see that uh, God really has come to the end of his rope with Israel. Now Israel here in this context are the 10 Northern tribes, not Benjamin and Judah in the South. See, after Solomon died, uh, his son Rehoboam came to the throne. His uh, chief of staff Jeroboam decided to go off on his own. There was a rebellion. The kingdom split into two halves, North and South. And so from that point in scripture on the North is referred to Israel. The south is referred to as Judah, even though Benjamin's down there too. Well, Jeroboam established idolatrous worship right off the bat. He wanted to keep the north from having to go down to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. So he established two centers of worship, one at the very north in the city of Dan and one in the south at Bethel. And on those two centers, worship places, he erected a golden calf, just like Israel had done in the desert during the Exodus. And so we have the idols, we have the institution of worship of the Baals, we have foreign gods from the Canaanites that are being worshiped. All of these syncretistic practices have just really vexed God. And they have fallen away from relationship with God. They have begun to despise each other, to not treat each other like neighbors. They take advantage of the poor. They can't wait until the festival is over or until the Sabbath is over so they can get back to selling stuff. And selling it dishonestly. They they shrink the size of the bushel basket so it doesn't hold as much as what you should receive. They increase the weights that weigh shekels so that you're actually getting more money out of you than you should have paid. And they're taking desperate advantage of the poor. They are selling them into slavery. They're buying them for a pair of sandals. And God says, enough is enough. I'm not going to walk by them anymore. They are going to be annihilated. They're going to become destitute. They're going to be conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C. And they're going to be carried off and disperse so that they never are a people group again. The Lord has had it with Amos. They have done everything exactly, not with Amos, but the people that Amos is preaching to. Uh, They've done everything exactly the opposite of what God is looking for in his people. And so we have a really good description in David of what it means to be good soil. And here in Amos, we really see the worst Of the garden. Well, Mary is sitting at the feet of the Lord. Somehow she senses that something special is going on here. And so we need to ask ourselves just exactly whose feet is she sitting at? And Paul tells us in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God. If we read the things between verse 15 and verse 19 that Paul has written about Christ, we really see an early form of the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. I think this really is the foundational material from where these creeds came from. That in Jesus, God was fully pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. Because Christ is God. Somehow Mary could sense that. And somehow she sensed the peace that would come from him. Paul tells us that once upon a time we were all alienated from God. That we were enemies in our minds and in our hearts because of our evil behavior. We were bad soil. Some of us were like the path. Some of us were like the rocky soil. Some of us were like where the weeds grew up and just choked everything out. But Paul tells us, but now God has reconciled us through Christ's physical body, through his death, so that he can present us holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Christ's death on the cross, for those who grasp that and accept that and follow that, Tills our soil. It removes the rocks. It removes the thorns. It weeds the the garden. It turns us into good soil so that when God looks down on us, he no longer sees the problems that we once had. But now he sees us in the righteousness of Christ that covers us. Now we know that Martha is... Extremely busy and distracted in this story today. But we know that Martha comes around. That when Lazarus dies and is brought back to life, Martha goes out to Jesus and she confesses Jesus as the Son of God and as the Messiah. In almost the same words that Peter did at Caesarea Philippi when he confesses Christ for the first time. So we know that Martha has had the thorns removed from around her. She has been allowed to grow and mature and produce a crop. And we can be weeded too. As Paul tells us in Colossians, we have been reconciled to God. He is our Lord. And we need to be like Mary. We need to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Amen.